0: Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where pressure is on the menu. Welcome to episode 40 of the Liberty Cafe. Hi, I'm Bill Peacock, and I'm glad to have you here with me. This is, is, as I said, episode 40 of the Liberty Cafe. But Actually, we've been doing this for just over a year now. I didn't actually get to doing An episode every week. But it's been over a year now, and thank you for those of you who have been with me from the beginning and who may have just joined me recently. Also, offer great thanks as I do every week to our sponsors of the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard, a great organization with great people fighting for our liberty. Well, today on episode 40, we're going to talk about the corrupting power of government. And we're going to Focus specifically on Texas. On that, but before we get to Texas, I want to talk about a few things about what we learn about government in the Bible and what government really is. So, the first thing we have to think about is that there are two types of government in this world internal and external. We don't start with civil government, which is what you think of mostly, and what certainly the dictionaries and the media all call government these days. But there's this biblical concept of government that starts with internal government, where we govern ourselves, and then God's external government, institutions that he has put together. Before the fall, things looked a little bit differently perhaps, but today there are three types of external government. There's the family government, there's church government, and there's civil government. Now, Before the fall, God had ordained both of these types of government, internal and external government. Adam and Eve were required to govern themselves eternally. Yet it was Adam who was the external governor of humanity, and he would have governed us all today even if it were not for his sin. So in the sense that we look at external government, there was hierarchy before the fall. There there were people in positions of authority even before the fall. Yet, the the fall did change the nature of external government. Before the fall, while discipline was part of external government, it was the positive kind of discipline discipling. Uh, Adam was to disciple his wife. Adam and Eve were to disciple their children, to grow them up and mature them in the Lord. However, after the fall, coercion entered into the calculus of government, if you will. That government could then coerce people, sometimes even with physical violence, in their roles of government. For instance, fathers, not only after the fall, discipled their children with teaching them about God, but they could now use physical punishment as part of that process. So fathers had the power of physical punishment, but we wouldn't really call it the power of the sword where they could lock up people and execute them. But let's call it the power of the switch that they had in order to discipline their children in, in this coercive way. Church elders, of course, are not today just only preaching and teaching the word of God. But if necessary, they can excommunicate members that are disobedient to God. So elders now have the power of what we call the sword, but it's not the sword we think of with government. It's the power of the word of God, which we see multiple times in Scripture, in Revelation and other places where the sword—a sword—is coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Now this got very confused during, particularly the Middle Ages, where the church and the state were all intermingled and. The church was essentially exercising the power of the steel sword as well, which we'll get to in a minute. In fact, that was the case with Jesus. And the Jerusalem rulers actually had the power of the sword, but they couldn't kill people under Roman law. They had to go to the Roman government to get that permission. But still, they were exercising this Old Testament style power of the sword, even though there was separation of actually civil and religious governments then. But let's move on to what civil rulers do. And so civil rulers, I think, actually came into existence after the fall. Because unlike these other two roles, elders and parents, fathers, uh, who had things to do before the fall, I don't think there would have been any role for civil rulers prior to the fall. They were brought specifically into existence to protect people. And the only reason they needed to protect people was because of the evil and the fall. So civil rulers today, thus, now have the power of the sword, but it's not the power of the word of God. It's the power of this sword or steel. They can actually physically restrain subjects and in some cases, even execute them. And this is again in their role that we see in Romans 13:3, for instance. It says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to the bad. So it's important to go through these things because I want to show here that there is a power of, in, in this power that they exercise, there is a, the possibility of corruption of rulers in all three spheres of the government. There's, these external governments that we have, fathers, elders, and rulers. But we're, we're just going to focus specifically today, though, on the corrupting nature of power in civil government that turns rulers into tyrants. And particularly, we're going to focus on Texas state government. Just a little backdrop there. Texas has controlled all branches of government. I'm sorry. Texas Republicans have controlled all branches of government since 2003. Governor's office has been in Republican hands since 1995. Uh, Texas Senate, I think, 1990. 1990- I believe it was. And then the House came along in 2003. And every other single statewide elected official who was elected has also been a Republican since that time. We clean sweep. We have the whole thing. So there have been some good things that have been happening in Texas because of that. And there are a lot of bad things that haven't happened. We're, we're not like California. We're not like New York. And so let's be grateful for that. But in a lot of ways, there are things that should have been accomplished in Texas that have not been. Uh, some abortion laws have been put off over the years that didn't happen. Uh, tax, the ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying is another example. Uh, two straight sessions now. People have been trying to take away the corrupting power of having local governments hire lobbyists to come up to Austin and lobby against their citizens that has failed. Another example this session was the the bill that would stop parents and doctors from mutilating their children by either removing sex parts, body parts, or administering hormone therapies and the like that essentially do the same thing in and, and, and this attempt to pretend like some boys or girls and And the more recent trend, to pretend like some girls are boys. This is total corruption. There is no possible way this should be taking place in any society. Yet, Republican leadership in Texas has failed to get this through. So, for all the good things that have happened since Republicans have been in power, there have been a lot of bad things that have happened or haven't happened. Things that haven't happened that should have. And so I suggest the reason for this is that the longer the vast majority of our elected officials are, serve in office, the more they are corrupted by the exercise of power in office. So there are some elected officials who manage to resist this temptation, but not many of them. And, and I'm not suggesting that these people are taking bribes. Are doing those types of illegal activities. But what has been going on, and what always goes on for people exercising power, particularly earthly powers like this, God-given authority, but earthly powers in many ways, they become consumed with that power. And they want it so badly that in some ways they actually become different people. You really can't remember why they sought to be elected in the first place. And this potential corruption applies to all elected officials, but particularly I'm focusing today on those officials who originally ran as conservative Republicans, but who seem to have lost their ways today. So I'm just going to go over a couple of examples here of what we've seen in Texas, or I've seen in Texas since I've been working in this arena for many years. And I'm not going to name many names. I'm going to name one name at the end because I think it's a powerful example. But I'm not picking on individual politicians here. What I'm trying to make the case for here is that this happens to everybody. The longer you're in office, the more more possibilities there are of you falling and succumbing to these temptations of being corrupted by power. So... I I worked my first career step in Texas politics was to go to work working in the Texas Senate as a staffer over there, and it was a great job. I loved it. I was the key person working on school finance and public education in the the Texas Senate Committee on Education. It was a great job. People came to me, you know, high-powered lobbyists and. Superintendents of school districts, and they came to me and talked to me, not because I was a special person or particularly influential, or influential at all, really, in my own self, or particularly even smart on the issues. It was because of the way the Senate was set up. I was, you know, it's my first job in politics. I didn't know much of anything, but I worked for a really powerful senator. And the way the Senate is set up is that. For most people, I mean, some lobbyists can get in to see the senators here and there, some constituents. But for the most part, you have to go talk to the staff. So all these people were coming to see me, but they didn't just come to see me. They gave me dinners and drinks and just all, you know, weekends even. Just things like this. And it wasn't just me. It was a lot of my buddies and my friends, and we would do all these kinds of things. Let me tell you, that was corrupting. And I was just a lowly staffer well th- these representatives get this kind of stuff all the time and these senators get these kind of things all the time you know governors lieutenant governors whoever they are in elected office even judges right now a lot of the free meals and drinks and all this kind of stuff has gone away because of changes in ethics law but still the uh, the way these folks are treated yeah, and the benefits they get from it, they may not make huge money as politicians, but they may be able to make go make better money outside of office because of who they are inside the office. So for whatever reason, this stuff becomes intoxicating. So just point to that, is, for instance, going back to 2005. So 2005 was the first year I went to work for the Texas Public Policy Foundation, And at the end of that session, the 2005 legislative session, I put together what I call the Economic Freedom Index. I took 10 votes that took place in the Texas House of Representatives. I couldn't do it in the Texas Senate because the Texas Senate often, particularly back then, they hide votes. They don't take votes on controversial issues. And so you can't find out what people really think about stuff, which is, of course, the purpose behind that. But you can't do that in the House. So I took 10 votes on on issues related to economic freedom. And these are really tough votes. They were discerning votes. If you scored well on my index, you were really, really, really conservative. And out of the 150 members of the Texas House of Representatives, I think it was eight of them scored a perfect 100% on my index and, and maybe another six or seven something like that scored 90 percent they got nine out of ten right so we're looking at about 14 15 members of the um, Texas House of Representatives out of you know about ten percent who were really solid conservatives so I'd suggest that number is probably about the same today if if that much but if you you know recently I ran across this and I kind of looked through it and again I'm not going to name any names but if if, if I went through those, 14 or 15 names with you, and said that these were the most conservative members in the Texas government, the Texas House of Representatives. You'd look at a lot of those names and think I was crazy based on the rest of their career because a lot of those guys and, and women didn't wind up so conservative as they went on in their careers. And I'd suggest again, it's because the longer they're up here, the less conservative, the less committed to their original principles. And that might Probably even includes the liberals as well, right. so that's just it. Uh, another example is a 2013 freshman class of Republicans in the uh, Texas House of Representatives. Those guys came in, and I think most of us would agree that that these guys are the were the most conservative freshman class in Texas legislative history, at least that I'm aware of. And I go back about thirty was it thirty. 2 years now, something like that. Is great and there's a large number of them. Well, again, if you, now there are some members of that class who are still really solid conservatives, but if you look at a lot of those guys, they're no longer solid conservatives. Some of them went native very quickly after their, you know, maybe even after 2 years, 4 years, but a lot of them have gone that way since. And again, They start out one way and they change to another way. I think that's the power of corruption in government. And then finally, the the one name I will mention here is uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Uh, I've thought a lot of Dan Patrick over the years. I I think even today he does a lot of good things for Texas. He is pushing for a lot of the right things even today. But he's struggling, I think, in this area. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. Lieutenant Governor Patrick has gone native, but he's struggling. And and just one example on this I think will suffice. So when Patrick ran for lieutenant governor in 2000, he ran in 2014 against an existing lieutenant governor, David Dewhurst. And one of the key components of his election campaign was he was running against the really large budget that had passed the Texas legislature under Dewhurst back in 2013. And the main ammunition that he had, that he used in that process, was research that we had done at the Texas Public Policy Foundation on the Texas budget and how much they had spent in 2013. Now, a lot of people in in government, including my former boss, Rick Perry, Governor Perry, pooh-poohed our terminology or methodology. They even, Governor Perry, I remember said that, um, he, he he said that we, we just didn't do math very well. You know, and more power to him. He's done a lot of good things for the state, but he disagreed with us on this. But Patrick used our methodology to help himself get elected as lieutenant governor. Well, let's go back to 2019, and Dan Patrick... Uh, Went to some pretty extensive lengths to poo-poo our methodology on the budget that we used to examine his budget that he would passed uh, through the Senate in 2019. He he let people know. I mean, this is public. There's nothing private about this. He he went out in public and let people know that he disagreed with our numbers. Well, the thing is, is that the methodology we we're using in 2019 is the exact same methodology that we used in 2013 and that he used to run for office and win office in 2014. So the level with which people are corrupted by exercising power in government can differ. Some just go native and can never come back. Some struggle with it. But the fact of the matter is that it's very clear that this happens. And it's not just been a recent thing. Jesus, for instance, railed against corrupt rulers throughout his ministry on earth. In fact, it was a major theme of his ministry. He went after Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. And these weren't just religious rulers. They were also part of the ruling council of Jerusalem, which was a civil body that ruled under the authority of the Roman powers. And Jesus warned the people of Jerusalem about their leaven, their teaching. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them hypocrites. He attacked the state-sponsored merchants. They were cheating the poor in the temple. All these kinds of things he did to go after the corrupt rulers, including, again, the civil rulers of his day. So the bottom line of all this is that earthly power is corrupting. And unfortunately, most power today by earthly rulers, including those in Texas, is earthly, not biblical. Now, Let me be clear, their authority as rulers comes from God, and we have to respect that. God has them in place, and whether they're good rulers or bad rulers, God has given them authority to rule over us. But what he hasn't done is given them authority to do a lot of the things that they are doing today. And that's unfortunately the case. Most of what they're doing is not under the God-given authority of Scripture. In fact, in many cases, they are defying God's commands. And I would say high taxes, taxation is okay, but high taxes above what God would have them use their money for is not okay. Most regulation of markets today has nothing to do with protecting consumers or protecting people. It has to do with regulating their behavior. Confiscation of private property, either through regulations or through eminent domain, And usually eminent domain is not for market value, despite what the whole system tells you. Those are all wrong. And there's a lot of other examples about that. The healthcare system we have today is clearly not something that is found, the authority for is found in Scripture. It's just not there. And so people who exercise this earthly power in disobedience to God are going to become corrupt. And the only way for a person to become a politician, be elected, enter an office to fight against these things and is if he's going to constantly seek God's counsel on what is right and what is wrong and then to actively trying to seek to rid himself of these ungodly powers. Unfortunately, there are very few men and women who will do that today. I know one guy, Talman Shefflin, I used to work with him at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, who, you know, he was in office for 20 Something years, and he was as godly and humble when he came out as he was when he went in. I didn't know him when he went in, but just trust me he's godly and humble when he came out and and I' I've known some other politicians who've served for six, ten years, those types of things, but very few of them make it through the process and remain humble and committed to why they came in at the end of that process so. Let me just finish up here by saying today, my podcast day is not about term limits, but let me just point out to you that term limits are one of the few policy tools, I think, that can eliminate this temptation of politicians to abuse power. And so we shouldn't think positively of term limits just because it protects us from corrupt rulers, which it does, I think, but it also protects the rulers from corruption themselves. If you care about the people you're electing to office, you should want term limits in place. Of course, there is a spiritual answer to all this, which is repentance. But unfortunately, a few politicians seem willing or able to repent of abusing power. And so we need to be praying for them as they're in office. But I'd also suggest we need to be praying for ourselves, because we continue to send these men and women back to city halls back to Austin and back to Washington, D.C., where they continue to succumb to temptation. We ourselves are doing something wrong in this, and we shouldn't be doing this. All right, well, great having you again with me on episode 40 of the Liberty Cafe. And Thanks again to our sponsors, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.